and welcome back to the Fantasy Front Office Podcast for the week of February 25th, 2019. This week, we are covering auction strategy and a little bit of TGFBI, so stay tuned as we jump into that after the break. And now, entering your ears, your Fantasy Front Office. And this week around the front office with me, Jeremy, are Phil and Todd, and we've got a guest, Mr. George Bissell. Welcome, George. Hey, guys. What a podcast. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Let's have some fun. Now, introduce yourself a little bit to the fantasy community. You do a little bit of writing, a little podcasting. Yeah, so I've been at this uh, at this game a while now. It's been a couple of years. Uh, I started with Baseball Prospectus. I was there for about four years, and I did a number of jobs there. I helped produce both the Tino and Flags Fly Forever podcast. I hosted Flags for about two years. And then I moved over to NBC Sports at Roto World, where I write once a week with the Daily Dose column, and I cover the player news. So doing game recaps about five, six days a week. We got spring training action going on right now, a lot of this league updates. So uh, a lot of scrubs hitting homers and guys I've never heard of pitching, and it's a... Uh, a, it's a fun time to be doing the news, but and then this year I'm also going to have a, a signature column once a week at Roto World. So we're still ironing out the details, but I know it's going to be uh, more statistics based and it's going to be uh, some a little bit of advanced metrics. It's going to be fun. So we're just kind of getting in the mode where baseball is back and looking forward to the start of real games. I don't know about you guys. Oh, for sure, you are one busy man there. <laughs> That's true. Yep, there's a lot going on. Barely a time to breathe. All right. Well, you told me that you had some special auction strategy that you've got cooking. Uh, what what do you have for us here? <laughs> well, it's not so much of a specific strategy. There's there's no one size fits all when it comes to auctions. I think there's sort of a, a lack of content in that area where people talk about the, the dynamics of drafts. They talk about ADP, but they don't talk about auction strategy. I think auctions are the most challenging of fantasy formats uh, I, i'm like a snake draft is fine if that's what you want to do it's the simplest way i think to conduct a draft but an auction you know is the fairest way in a snake draft if you draw the 10th pick you don't have a shot at mike trout and mookie bats or one of those core foundational blocks so i think with an auction it gives every fantasy owner a choice as to how they want to construct their roster and i think that's the best way to to do a league and I just had a draft last week. We did the uh, CBS American League only auction, and it took about five hours. And I gotta tell you, <laughs> yeah, uh, Andrew, I believe one of our writers was in that same mock with you over on CBS, yep. and yeah, he was he was enjoying that mock. It's just so much fun. If you haven't done an auction, you need to do it. Uh, I just kind of wanted to cover some basic stuff because we did this about once a year. At, at Baseball Prospectus, we'd have a, an auction strategy podcast where we'd, we'd sit with a, you know, we'd bring on a guest. It was Jeff Quinton for a couple years. We had Rob Silver come on last year, NFBC main event uh, champion himself and a really smart analyst. So I, I just think there's a lot of interesting stuff. And I was thinking maybe you guys could fire some some questions about auctions at me and see, you know, kind of where we want to go with it. But um, I can give you the right off the top. I think the biggest thing with auctions is understanding your league context and the scoring and the league rules. You have to understand uh, a player's value within the context of your league. 
And a good example of this, I found this year specifically, is Adalberto Mondesi. Depending on your format, uh, with given his range of outcomes, he's either worth like a first or second round valuation or like a fifth or sixth. So you really have to know how a player's skills fit the league and the, and the scoring that you're playing in within that specific league. So that's probably the biggest overarching thing going into a draft. But um, I, I just like to hear what you guys have in terms of like auction questions or strategy, and then we can kind of roll from there, I guess. Um, as for auction leagues, we're all in a 10 team league. So what kind of questions do you guys have for like a season long league? Like how, how do you change your uh, hitting versus uh, pitching split? Because I know recently People have been, you know, drafting first round pitchers. Uh, and so the value obviously has skyrocketed. So is that something that you ever chase any of those first round pitchers, like the, the $40, $45 pitchers? Right. And I think there's a lot of group think going on right now within the industry. And I, I, you see this more in industry leagues, and, and that's a nebulous term. But what I'm talking about is people who study this stuff and who write about this, um, who, who are not your, your average Joes who are just playing in the home leagues, for example. Um, typically the pitching, the hitting pitching split is about 70, 30, depending on how you want to tweak it. You can go 67 for, for hitters and, and sink a little bit more into pitching. I think it comes down to what your specific strategy is and how you want to audible based off of what's going on around you, right? If everyone in your league is going into the draft saying, I want to get an ace, I want to get Max Scherzer, I want to get Jacob deGrom, I want to get Chris Sale, Corey Kluber. Even if they're chasing and, and pushing prices up on the next tier of starting pitchers, your Garrett Coles, Carlos Carrasco, just to name a few guys. You know, I'm sure I'm leaving out a bunch of guys. You know, Aaron Nola, for example. Like, there's a bunch of them. Right, but right. If, yeah, if you find that those prices are above your auction values are, what your dollar, your bid limit is on those specific players, you have to be prepared to audible and, and go to a, to a secondary strategy. So I think I noticed this in CBSAL that the prices on upper echelon starting pitchers were exceptionally high. And one of my close friends in that league, Mike Gianello, who's a writer at Baseball Prospectus, and he's done a lot of work with valuations and looking at them retrospectively and saying, well, here's what happened with the player pool. Here's where you know my strategy worked or it didn't work. Um, and he's found that you know you need to invest in an ace. It probably makes the most sense because there's less risk of you losing value on the investment. One of those elite guys then the lower rungs of the starting pitcher ranks. So I get it. It makes sense. But when everyone is zigging that way, sometimes you need to zag. And that's something that both Mike and I did in the CBS auction. And I know Andrew and a couple other guys in that league, I, I'm assuming they went big on starting pitching. And you just have to be prepared. If everyone's doing that, you have to know, all right, well, how can I exploit this to my benefit by putting my dollars and my investment somewhere else? Now, in thinking about auction leagues, how much homework do you, well, just recommend people do going into them? Or are there specific sites that do good evaluations that they can use as kind of a, a base cheat sheet where they can kind of flub things for down, fluctuate to their own liking? Yeah, so that's a great question. That's probably one of the most important decisions you're going to make is how do I know player is worth in my league going into a draft? If you're going in blind and you don't know, um, for example, if the bidding gets to forty dollars on JD Martinez, well, how do I know if he's worth forty-one or forty-two? 
You know, how, how do I know how far to go? So there are a lot of good sites out there that do this type of stuff where they'll, they'll have a projection systems and they'll have an auction value calculator where you can enter your league settings. And that's great. Um, I'm not going to plug all of them. There are a lot out there. You can find them pretty easily. If you're if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know where to look. Right. However, um, I think it's important to go in with a, a projection system and you can make adjustments to them and say, all right, I, I understand that they're projecting Max Muncy for 25 home runs, but I feel more comfortable as him with projecting 28. I feel comfortable paying for 28. So you can bump up his dollar value a little bit. It's about setting bid limits. I think if you enter, if you have a projection system, if you find projections that you like and you run auction values um, off of that, you can do your own, but it's a really complicated process. And that's a whole nother <laughs> hour long podcast. Yeah. Which, uh, I, I'd give you a popsicle headache. No one wants to listen to that, but <laughs> you you can figure out how to do it on your own, which myself and a lot of other people do that. And <laughs> if you have the time, it's worth it. But for most people, you're just looking at a set of projections and you're creating bid limits based off that. Um, so I think it's important to set reasonable limits. Like when I go into a draft, I understand that, look, I don't want to spend more than $30 on uh, a certain player. I know what he's worth and I know what my limit is. So I know when to drop out. So I'm not making mistakes and, and having to adjust on the fly because I, I bid too much on a player. I shouldn't have spent that amount. on. Let's say you have a guy that is a $30 guy, but do you, do you stop at, let's say 28 to try to have their, there be an extra value built in, or do you just stop at the 30 because that's what you think that your value is going to end up being? You know what I mean? Like there's there's that right. part of the game too where you have to kind of play exactly like you were saying earlier, play the league that you're in and just kind of watch how the the tea leaves are, are starting to form, you know? Yeah, so th- there's a lot of great articles that have been written, but there's one specific uh book that was li- written by Larry Schechter. Um it's called Winning Fantasy Baseball and I, I reference it a lot. And one of his core principles is that it's all about value. You want to get more than two hundred and sixty dollars in in value. If if your right. if your budget is two sixty, you want to get two eighty or or even three hundred dollars in value based on what your projections say that the players that you buy are worth. No one's gonna agree with you. There's gonna be, you know, matters of, of difference on, on certain guys. Like I may think Mondesi's worth thirty dollars, other people think he's worth ten. So you know what I mean? That's you're always going to have differences of opinion. So um, one of his points is that you want to get more value out of it than you're paying. So your point, Phil, about, well, do I really want to pay sticker price? Do I want to push to $30? Do I want to make that jump bid from 28 to 30 to ensure that I get this guy? That's a tough decision. Um, I think it's worth it. The most important thing in an auction is you have to spend all your money. If you go home with extra money um, and you're sitting there at the end of the draft and you still have $10, $20 left, uh, you've made a mistake somewhere. So I don't think it's or a series of mistakes. Right. There. Yeah. yeah <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, it's all human error, guys. It's not. <laughs> that's the most important thing to remember. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's not a bad thing to make a par, so to speak. I don't know if any of you guys are golfers. Yeah. Um, gotcha. So especially on elite players, if, for example, like Jacob Degrom, if it's okay to pay the full value for him because you're going to get that back. Where you get into trouble is when you look at like a breakout pick, for example, if I think Luke Voigt is maybe like a, I'll just throw a number out there. If I think he's like a $15 hitter or something like that, and maybe in some leagues I'd be able to get him for less than $10, but let's say someone else really likes him as well. And then I push it all the way to $15 and, and then Luke Voigt is a bust. That's where you lose value. And those are the types of decisions that sink teams. So yeah, you want to get more value. You want to pay below what you're your bid limit is understand that 
you have a limit for a reason. It says I- I'm willing to push to this level because I think this guy is worth this. How do you handle and like what is your strategies in regards to nominating? You know, it's do you find yourself nominating players you want versus positions you already have and you're trying to kind of flood the pool a little bit? Or I was just wondering what your thoughts are on nominations. Yeah, so there's kind of two things that branch off of this. One is that people early in a draft, I love this analogy because you hear it a lot from people who don't do a ton of auctions. They say, oh, I, I want to throw out a lot of big name players that I, I don't want to buy because I'll get money off the table or you know force other people to spend their money so I'll have more later. And that's that's I don't think that's smart for two reasons. One, let's say that player you throw out so no one no one really bids on him and they they come in below what your dollar amount you had them projected for, what your bid limit was. Um so and and you pass on him. So one you've missed an opportunity to gain some value there and you you've missed out on buying a good player. And, and you've two. given away value to somebody else. Exactly. So so basically, <laughs> do you recommend only nominating players you personally want to bid on or sprinkle right, right. in guys that you aren't really sure on? Yeah. So now, now I remember what I was going to say. It's no, no one's really paying attention to, to what you're doing. Um, and if, if you think you're the only one who likes a guy or, or you don't like a guy, you know, everybody's kind of doing their own thing. So nobody's really watching carefully unless you're, you're, you're buying every player that you nominate. No one's going to notice that. And I think you want to be strategic about your nominations. Uh, for example, in, in CBS, there were a couple players that I identified where I thought I probably like this guy or value this player more than the rest of the owners in the league. So I want to throw that player out early because I want to make a decision. I don't want to try and wait on that guy, especially if it's a stud, because you want to see what the rest of the league does so that you have enough time to adjust and, and audible to another strategy. So that guy in this case was Whit Merrifield, that I was going to value him more than everyone else in the league, which ended up being the case. Uh, But I bought him as like the second nomination in the draft for $33. And sometimes the best deals in an auction are right out of the gate, terrified about setting the market. They're hesitant at first. Well, I don't want to be the first one to buy two players in a row uh, and and take a ton of money off the table. But look, if you're getting a good deal based on what you think the player's worth, absolutely it makes sense. Um, there's there's like a first sort of meta level to that question, which is interesting is when do you nominate a player who you think is like a low dollar sleeper that you like? When do you do that? Do I wait as long as possible or do do I want to get them out like first or second round and, and just see what happens? Maybe maybe they'll sneak them through. Um, I don't think you can win doing that either way, because if you like that player, the chances are if someone else likes that player, too, they're going to bid them up no matter what. So it, it's just tough. It, it, you have to kind of pick your spots and, and have a, a plan as far as the order of players you want to nominate based on your strategy. So in looking at this as a complete redraft, do you go in setting a budget per position or just specific players you want to nominate? Like, yeah, I, I only want to spend 25 bucks on a first baseman, 15 on a shortstop kind of deal just to make sure you got all your budget working. Yeah, I don't think you want to lock yourself into specific dollar figures out of position. And I'll, a good example of this out of the CBS auction was Francisco Lindor. It was he came out at a strange time. It was a little bit later on after a lot of the studs had been purchased, and he went for I think thirty one, which was low compared to the prices on the other players. To to give it some context, Mookie Betts and Mike Trout went for fifty five and fifty six. So look, if if you think Francisco Lindor is a first rounder, especially in an AL only, that's a tremendous deal, um, especially when most other studs were pushing forty plus dollars. 
so you never know when the best deal is going to come out. So let's say I budgeted $10 for a shortstop, but then I find Lindor is this amazing value at $30. You're not going to take him because you only budgeted $10 for a shortstop because you had a guy you liked, you know, someone like uh, Jorge Polanco, and you're like, I'm comfortable with him as my starter. But then Lindor is there. So you have to be prepared to take the value when it comes up. So my general philosophy is I want to budget a certain amount for hitters and a certain amount for pitchers. And I want to try and target certain guys to fill out my team, paired to walk away from them. I knew I I wanted to buy Mondesi in this draft. He wasn't a great fit based on the format, and he went past my bid limit. So I said, you know what? I'm not going to get him. I'm not going to lose value on this guy here. And that's when you audible to your next guy you want to target and and construct your roster. So I I think it's all about setting the the amount of dollars you want to spend per hitter and pitcher overall, and then trying to find players who fit within that context. And be flexible. Like, don't get tied in any specific player. That's probably the number one mistake that <laughs> yeah, the fantasy owners done that. You know, you you spend all offseason thinking, oh, isn't it going to be great when I buy Stephen Piscotty and he hits thirty five homers? Isn't it going to be sweet? And then you go into the draft saying, I got to get this guy, and then someone else is pushing you on the bids, and you, you know you're making a mistake in the moment. You're like, yeah, this is too much, but you can't stop yourself. We've all been there, and I think that's the number one thing that over the years I've learned is when your instincts are telling you that you're you're probably paying too much probably right <laughs> very true phil so you I'm got just, one i'm just gonna i'm just gonna throw this out there it's not actually a question but it's uh so my home league we actually voted this year it's a dynasty it's turning into like a, a semi-dynasty league uh, at this point but um with three-year uh, contracts but we just turned it into an auction league this year um uh-huh. from just a six keeper league so you know it's something that we've i've been a huge proponent of for a while and finally got my home league to do it. So it's going to be fun to watch some of these guys, uh, their first actual auction bidding on, you know, one guy told me, he's like, I'm getting JD Martinez no matter what. And I, and, and it's funny because, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep, you know, bidding him up until I know he's getting JD Martinez no matter what, but he's going to go a couple dollars past where I think he's worth. Yeah. People tried to do that on, on Scott White who writes for CBS. They know he loves Mondesi. So people were bidding up him. And yeah. then Scott was like, yeah, I'm not in on him. And then, <laughs> just drop the hammer on him. That was kind of incredible. He's like, "Yeah, guys, I'm out." And then it's like, "Oh, somebody's paying forty for him." Uh, right. So, look, I, I biggest advantage you can have in a home league is if you understand what each player is worth, and your competition doesn't. That's a huge advantage because you know when you are just, um, you know, somebody else is making a huge mistake, and you know where am I? Where can I extract the most value? Where can I get a player who's worth twenty dollars for five? That's where you can really crush a home league. Right, and and especially with the way that it's set up, you know, we have two two dollar increases over the years. So, uh, if if you kill somebody, you know, early on, you have half your budget as a keeper budget for the next year. Pretty much setting up a dynasty for the first couple of years. No, that's exactly right. That's uh, dynasty leagues are a whole different animal, but they're they're a lot of fun. So uh, going off of what Phil was saying there, we we all play in a semi dynasty keeper league um, where your budget is 180, and that's how much you can keep. Everybody else beyond 180 after increases has to go back into the open pool. And everybody can bid on them at auction. Do you play in any similar to that? I have a home league, which everyone loves hearing about my fantasy leagues. But it's a personal experience, right? (laughs) No, it's a a contract style dynasty. So it's very similar in, in terms of there's a fixed amount of dollars that are being kept going into the auction. So 
in those types of leagues and when you're talking about and, and some other ones that people probably play in where there there are fixed prices on guys and yeah. you know going into the draft how much everyone has to spend um there can be a bit of inflation the one that's the thing that's probably annoying about some leagues like this are there'll be a team that just tanks and has a ton of money to spend <laughs> let's say and they can just blow you out of the water where you think all right i'm gonna be able to you know bring so-and-so back for you know a decent salary and that guy just has an extra twenty dollars to play with so he's just throwing cash at everyone that's where it gets dicey we've definitely experienced that i'm raising my i'm raising my hand right here yeah phil took over he an orphan team in this league and the first year sold everybody and (laughs) stole all the prospects because nobody was into prospects at that point that's a good strategy yeah if that that goes back to the the you know if if everyone is zigging you want to zag if if no one else is doing this strategy this is actually it ties in a little bit of auction dynamics but you you know, you know that guy at the end who has the pile of money left at the end of the draft and he's just like bidding $5 for guys who are worth a dollar? I, I think that's like such a waste. I, I've never understood that. This The saving your money till the end of the draft kind of guy. You want to be different than the rest of your league. It's, it's how, how can I develop a strategy that no one else is doing that can be effective? And whether it's the types of players you build that, that fit your scoring system or just if everyone's going veterans and trying to win now, well, how can I get an advantage two, three years? from now where I've got a bunch of these prospects who blossom. If I make a couple of good decisions, uh, I'm right in it. So only uh, something to, to keep an eye on. Definitely that chess match. The yeah. other point on that uh, to add on is that if you are going to be a seller, you want to be the first seller. Yes. You, yep. you oh, yeah. want to be the person that sets the market and that gets all the prospects before anybody even knows it's happening. Literally, I, I cornered the market on prospects and I had everyone within like a one month period. Yeah. If you do it correctly, this is a common thing with um, startup dynasties. This is something Tom Trudeau, I don't know if you guys know uh, him, but he's he writes for the Dynasty Guru. He's been doing this kind of stuff for a while. Um, there was an initial startup dynasty league with a bunch of industry people and he, he didn't draft like a major league player until the 25th round. Um, Yeah. Basically you throw away the first three years or something like that. Um, but he ended up with a a really just insane team that, that hasn't lost in a few years basically. So Look, if you do it right in a startup dynasty, um, you can you can dominate that type of league. But the problem is you have to be the only team doing that. If another team does that and they're constantly scooping you on prospects, elite right. caliber guys, it, it waters down your strategy a little bit. And then you're constantly fighting with them in trades to, for the same types of guys. That's It's why you want to be the only guy doing it, uh, I think. <laughs> nah, I'm, I mean, the big one for me was nomination. I have one more thing on nominations. And this is another Larry Schechter yeah. thing. I, I think everyone will like this one. But one of his big taglines in the book, one, one of his chapters is uh, – it's about nominating as an advantage. What what he means when he, he says that is when I throw out a player, I want to throw out a guy for a specific reason, kind of something I talked about a little bit earlier. You know, have a purpose behind the nomination. Um, have it make sense and, and throw out a player. Don't just throw out a guy at a dollar. I think that's the laziest. Exactly. Exactly. Thing to do. Especially if it's a guy you want, you want to throw them out like you were saying earlier, guys, about, you know, I want to buy the $30 player for 28 Well, maybe if you throw out, uh, you know, that guy at 28 right at the start of the auction, maybe it'll be crickets and you'll get him. Um, the drawback is, you know, if I, if I nominate really high, if I might have been able to get that player for $5 cheaper. So you never right. want to go, yeah. you never want to go right to your bid limit or, or right up to it. 
when you throw a guy, throw him out for for ten bucks, and then 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 kind of see where it goes. Yeah, you know, something like that. Don't just throw it out for a dollar because then it's like a feeding frenzy with piranhas or people. Or if you're doing an online draft, just people clicking bid, bid, bid. It's just it gets nuts. So yeah, I can definitely see that nominating at a third or half of where you're willing to go. Just so yeah. that if nobody else is bidding on him, you can still get him at a discount. But also if somebody, if only one other person is bidding on him and you don't want him, they're not getting him at such a discount. Right. That probably makes sense for guys who are your sort of your sleepers or breakouts, those types of guys, your, your lower dollar value players. You're not throwing out, you know, Corey Kluber at 20 bucks and getting him. You know what <laughs> I mean? For, for those guys, actually, I've seen this in a lot. You, you guys know Tout Wars and Labor. Yeah, um, right. One year, I think somebody threw out Clayton Kershaw. This is when Kershaw. Was not um, my bullpen didn't go well today, uh, Kershaw. This was this was Cy Young Kershaw, and somebody threw him out at like fifty dollars right at the start of the draft, like like, <laughs> and it was just you could hear wow. a pin drop. He was the first nomination, and they bought him at that number, and it ended up being a really good deal. So this is something um, I remember Tristan Cockroft w- would say is that there's kind of a soft spot um, in, in drafts right after the first couple players are, have been bought. Sometimes those are the best deals, but usually there's a little bit of a soft spot the next couple of nominations where where people are just kind of dipping their toes in the water and they're, they're really hesitant to push prices on guys while there are still other studs out there. So you never want to be the last person to jump in on the, the, you know, the last remaining elite players because those are the guys where there's a bidding war because people don't want to miss out so if you you want to either buy like the first player or the one of the first few players or or the next couple guys after that that's sort of the sweet spot in auctions that that i found by doing a lot of them that that that's where you can get some of the best values and it really helps it like you said earlier if you don't fall in love with the player that you're actually you know that you're drafting because at that point you don't care who they are you just care about the value they're getting yeah that's that's the thing is if if you're wrong like if i think williams astudio is worth more than than everyone else does and then he does doesn't end up being that good i'm in trouble right i'm losing a lot of value there <laughs> so you you want to be right but you know you're going to have misses so just bake that in be like I, I need that's why you have a bid limit so you understand all right if i push past this point i'm probably not returning positive value i, I might be losing value on this type of player so that's why it's critical you can't go into an auction blind where you have no idea what guys are worth because then you end up like your buddy there with jd martinez where you end up spending more than the guy's worth and right. you're already in a hole you're not going to win the league you're automatically you're automatically dead on arrival and not only that he's not even going to be a keeper right yeah so do you have some guys that you're looking at that are kind of undervalued that would be good for people to keep on their radar yeah so uh, this is sort of a new thing i'm testing out i i think people love narratives i, I see it by covering player news and, and game recaps people love narratives they go oh well, this guy was incredible over this stretch and if you throw out this game and then his stats are this and Look, people are going to all have the same sleepers. I think you're going to find that everyone likes the same kinds of players. So it's going to be really tough to, to go into a draft and think that no one's going to know who, who certain guys are. Um, one area where you can gain a little bit of an advantage is guys who have jumped up a level that people, the anchoring effect hasn't taken place yet, still haven't adjusted and realized that, oh, this guy is actually an elite hitter. 
two of those guys for me right now, Steven Piscotti and David Dahl, a pair of outfielders, I find myself being the high guy on them a, a lot of times. And it's because just having watched them and seen the numbers that they put up, those those were two guys who dealt with a lot of different issues. Um, for, for Dahl, it was injuries and playing time concerns. And those kind of evaporated in the second half last year. And over the final month, he was incredible. And, and really in the second half, he was good. And it just looks like he's going to have an everyday role. He has Colorado working in his favor. And I think he's if he's on the field every day and he's healthy, which it appears like he is right now, he's a really talented player who's going to have big numbers. And people don't seem to want to be willing to fully buy in on him. And with Piscotti, who dealt with a personal situation, which I'm sure everyone you know is aware of with, with his right, mother passing right. last May, his, uh-huh. his first two months were terrible. And it's understandable why. So I'm willing to give him a pass completely for that. And if you look at his final four months, I think he had 24 homers, batted 280. Um, he, he was basically the Detroit version of J.D. Martinez. And, and people seem like they don't want to fully buy into that, that, that this is who he is now. So those are the types of guys where if you identify a player that you like, where you think the skills are stable and everyone seems to be doubting that, those are sometimes the best investments. So those are two guys for me that really stood out where I'm not necessarily projecting any future growth. I'm just saying if they can do what they did last year and, and continue at the skill level they were at, they're going to produce value. They're, they're going to return value for my for my fantasy team. Now, what are your thoughts on like Vladdy Jr. or Eloy? Because we're in some of these drafts right now where Vladdy is going top 50 yeah. in just snake drafts. Like, is there a, an auction strategy with that? Or is this just inflation on on everybody's anticipation? I, I hesitate to, to single out Guerrero and say, well, it's it's shiny new toy syndrome. And look, he might be the, the once-in-a-generation type exception because of just how good he's been. There was a great podcast. I don't want to, I don't mean to plug other podcasts on your podcast, oh, we're, guys. We're not um, opposed to plugging other podcasts. We just hope to be in everybody's rotation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You, you need more than one starter, right? Right. It's, 20, right. it's 2019. You need, you need multiple guys. If you're a, a data nerd, if if you like advanced stats and you like projections, if, if you like this podcast, it's Stolen Signs, which is a baseball perspectives podcast. Harry Pavlidis and Kendall Gomet are the two guys who are on it. And they're some of the, the architects. They have Jonathan Judge on, another architect of Pakoda, which is a projection system at BP. And I know there's a long route here for me to get to my point, but they talk about how Vlad is just so hard to project because he's never failed at any level. And he's been so much better than each level, <laughs> given his age, than than almost anyone we've had in, in a long time. So right. he, it's weird. You never want to like make bold proclamations or, or draw conclusions based on outliers because then you end up thinking everyone is you know, subs- you know, subscribes to that theory of that last guy. So Guerrero might be an exception. He might be worth that price uh, based on the talent. The question with him is, and, and I think Harry mentioned this on their pod, he's never failed before. So what happens if he fails at the major league level? How does he respond to that? We just don't know. So that's the risk with Guerrero. I don't think they're going to mess around with his playing time too much. I think he's going to be up. He's going to get the Chris Bryant Acuna treatment. The three weeks and then now you're a full-time player. Oh, look at that. Now his defense is ready. Right. Uh, His base running improved. It's amazing. Uh, That's the the way the rules are. So there's nothing you can do about that. But yeah, he's he's a weird outlier. Acuna was kind of the same way. It was like, look at the skills and how old he is based on the level. Like, you're not supposed to do this. Um, Soto is another guy like that. So yeah. we'll we'll see 
we'll see how those guys age at the big league level. But um, Eli is a fascinating case too. I, I just think these guys are interesting, and that's why people are paying that price for them. Those are the type of investments that you're either going to win your league or you're going to lose. <laughs> there's there's not a lot of middle ground there. When you sink that much into a guy who's proven nothing literally at the big league level, that's tough. It's a it's a tough call to make. That it is. What do you think about um, people that say that like the scouting is better nowadays, and that the you know that there's better way to project these people just because of the way that everything is nowadays? It's it's more um, more data driven as far as the way he hits the ball and where he hits the ball and all that. Yeah, so I think there's more information out there. I don't think there's there's necessarily more knowledge. We're not any better at at understanding which guys I think are going to to hit and which guys aren't. Um, but I think we know more about the types of players who succeed and why because of all the data we have now. We un- we understand why certain profiles work and, and other ones don't. I think that's th- that's always been the challenge with minor league equivalencies and understanding how a guy's skills translate. And it's only gotten more difficult because of, of the ball at the major league level. I think most people know the baseball changed after the All-Star break in 2015. That's why we saw right. the power spike, home run surge. You know, guys like Francisco Lindor, who never scraped double-digit home runs in the minors, were all of a sudden 30, 40 home run hitters. Look, some of that's just just development and guys getting better, um, but some of it is definitely the ball, and and <laughs> it's tough to project. Like Victor Robles is a good example of this for me. It's like I don't know if he's going to hit 15 home runs or 30 or five. I. I don't know how it's going to track. Like, we're pretty confident Vlad Jr. is going to hit for power, right? Right. Like, he's, he's a lock. But it's guys like that who, you know, have gap power, and, and maybe they're they're hitting balls to the track a lot of the times that all of a sudden those balls are landing, you know, five rows into the stands. And, and it's, it's hard to project those guys. So, yeah, I think there's more good information there. People who, who, who are doing scouting, there's definitely a lot more people going to games, taking video, uh, filing scouting reports. Also, you, you can talk yourself into guys that maybe you shouldn't at the same time just because you've seen more of them. <laughs> so you got to find the balance, right? You got to understand, you got to balance the risk versus the reward and, and try not to carry it away with, with falling in love with certain guys. Chasing that prospect question uh, a little bit deeper, who's, who's yeah. your number three? It's probably Robles still. I, I'd probably have him number one because of the speed. Uh, he's right up there with Guerrero for me. Uh, I think Vlad has to be your number one. But it, in most years, you know, Robles would, would be the number one guy. Um, there's a lot of – the pitching landscape is weird because there aren't a lot of great young pitchers anymore. <laughs> you notice that? There's, right. Like, well, the they're guys on the thought, Tommy John list. Right. The guys we thought were the next generation of aces, you know, Alex Reyes, Julio Arias, uh, even guys like Brett Honeywell, A.J. Puck, they, they've all gotten hurt. Um, so that's the challenge with, with – developing pitching right now I, I think those guys have sort of fallen by the wayside and I, I like Robles I, I think the skills track it sounds like they're gonna bat him nine but are you I, I said this last year like are you confident Adam Eaton's playing 150 games oh no. no no <laughs> not at all so that's crazy town that is that is bananas I cannot imagine that he gets you know 150 games so Robles has the skills and the speed is more valuable in today's game. You know, people make the Starling Marte comp. I think that's a bit aggressive, but could he get you 30 steals with a respectable batting average and a little bit of pop? Yeah, I think he can do that. And that's that's worth more than you think in, in the current landscape of fantasy. All right. Well, we're in the main event here, the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational or TGFBI, as you've been following it online, uh, on Twitter, probably filling up your feeds right now of everybody's draft picks. Uh, it's an industry contest. 
with 315 contestants this year, up from 195 last year, broken down into 15-man leagues, two catcher, five outfield, one utility, one corner, one middle infielder, and nine pitcher setup. It's a standard 5x5 roto with average wins and save only. Figure we'll get all the all the junk out up top. George, are you in the TGFBI? <laughs> no, I am out this year. I, oh. I, 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 I did not elect to uh, to do it again this year. Um, look, I, I really like Justin Mason. I, this isn't a personal thing or anything like that. I think he's a great guy. I've met him. He's 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 one of the hardest working people I know in the industry. And it's a very supportive group, uh, people who do this for for a living, so to speak. I don't, none of us are uh, getting rich here. Yeah, we're not here for the money. No, that's, Unfortunately but, not. No, no, not yet. Um, but no, I really like what Justin's done. I think he's built a really unique uh, challenge for people out there. Uh, however, the, the prospect of doing another slow draft that people using the full pick timer, what is it, six hours? Four hours. Four, four hours. Down to four. four it was eight last year. Oh, yeah. It was horrible. I, it was not good. Because like I was a victim of it too. Like 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 I was I was just as bad. I I'd be stuck at work and be like I don't have time to pick right now. Like all my my queue just got obliterated. Like I don't have time to go through this. And I, I get it. Like there have been a lot of auto picks. And uh, look, I, I think it's um I think it's a fun challenge. But at the same time, uh, not for me this year. <laughs> How did you do last year? Do you not remember? Great. Not great. <laughs> Not great. Um, I recall at one point being like, I've made a huge mistake on all my... This this goes back to um, not falling in love with narratives because there was a whole thought process I had where it was like, yeah, you don't need an ace. Denelson Lamette's going to put up this like... (laughs) 220 strikeout season and Jorge Polanco is going to bust out. And yeah, uh, one guy had Tommy John, the other had an 80 game PED suspension. And that was before opening day. And then Justin Turner broke his wrist. And I was like, I think I'm, I think I'm cooked guys. Like this isn't good. Uh, Phil, Phil feels for you because he wound up with half his squad on the DL. I'd pretty sure yeah literally at one time i think i had like 12 guys on the dl yeah and you so, can't drop anybody because of how deep the league is and i'm like okay like what am i supposed to do there's two dl spots so i'm rostering no one and also there's a there's a fun thing but like when you're sort of established people freeze you out on trades like they will not trade with you They're like why do you want this guy and i was like right? i don't know i need a second baseman i'm starting like i don't know marco hernandez like miguel rojas is playing like help and it's like no like you've 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 dug this hole now you now you're done because i remember last year i made a trade with uh i won't say his name but he uh (laughs) roasted me like he made this trade offered it like gave me a whole spiel on it made it posted on twitter and was roasting me about it and i was like oh that's that you made the deal or that you didn't that i made the deal that i took it oh i hate that you know, that's the thing like it, with industry leagues nobody wants to get burned right. so it's way easier to say no i'm not going to make this trade than yeah i'll do it because people don't want to look look foolish i don't care personally like if i make a bad trade i make a bad trade it made sense to me at the time Preach. um as long as it's defensible to you make any trade don't don't care what anyone else thinks but a lot of people do care and they don't want to say well someone i've never heard of just fleeced me on this deal and this and tgfbi <laughs> right. and, and now now everyone's going to know that for the next five years this guy's going to put on his blog for the next you know i get it that's why people don't want to trade who you know have a, a higher profile let's say um in these leagues so i, I get it I, I see both sides to it well luckily well, now it's on now it's on nfbc yeah. so there's no uh no trades yeah, yeah last year there were so <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure <laughs> there were there was a lot of feeling things out in the first go of this 
And and basically, I mean, if you're not in the industry or just have a peripheral view, there are two major, major tournaments, uh, Labor and Tout, that only an elite group actually get into. And the TGFBI was kind of put out there to say, okay, all you little guys that'll never sniff anywhere near those two tournaments, here's one for you. Yeah, no, that, that's why I love it. And I, I think it's great that people are getting an opportunity to showcase their abilities as a fantasy owner, as an analyst. It, I think it's, it's a good community building type initiative and that's why i applaud justin for doing it showing the initiative and working this hard on building it because it's not easy most most guys don't even try so um that, oh, that's why i think we've noticed in a few leagues yeah yeah, yeah, yeah so far this year yeah. i i've heard of a few there have been a couple replacements already in <laughs> leagues that haven't gotten past the third round brutal you you were talking about tout wars and labor. I, I went to tout a couple years ago, and there's a really good Laura Michaels uh, story in there. That uh, obviously Laura, uh, the late Laura Michaels, he passed away earlier this year, and uh, he was just a great guy. I he was one of the first guys I met at the auction <laughs> when I went in. I wasn't waiting. I was there to watch um, my colleagues at Baseball Prospectus at the time draft and. Laura was was there, and I I recognized him immediately. I was like from the, the you know, Twitter pictures. I was like, oh, that's Laura. I was like, I gotta talk to him. He, he, we talked for like a half hour about golf. We didn't talk for <laughs> one minute about baseball. He's like, I'm writing a book about golf, and I was like, really? Wow. And uh, yeah, he's like, oh, I'll send you a draft, and I was like, I don't know. Like, you don't need my feedback. Like, you're you're you probably got this. Um, but the guy was a legend, and and he he's the type of guy you, they they say never meet your heroes. But when you met Laura, you were like, man, he's he's everything everybody says about him. He's just a great guy. So um, it was really sad that, that he passed away. And I know a lot of people are dedicating this year to him. So I always feel compelled to, to talk about him and, and just how awesome he was. And that that draft, man, Tout Wars, it's like the Daytona 500. Like, <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. He's intense. OK, so there was one sequence. I don't want to bore people with all of the details, but there was once one player. I remember Lorenzo Kane got thrown out at twenty seven dollars and then somebody said twenty eight. And the dagger that was stared across the table, like it was intense. And then there was 29 and then 30. <laughs> and then someone else got 31. And it just was insane. It was like being like like stressed out at all times for four hours. I cannot imagine. It's like high stakes poker is the only way I can put the analogy. Like if you're at the, the main table in Vegas for you know, World Series of Poker, it's like that. It really is. So to be in that room... I think that's something everyone aspires to that they want to do someday because it is just awesome. It, it lives up to the hype. I got to tell you. And and that one's in New York. Yeah. Yeah. So and that year it's a live the, draft. Everybody's in the same room type deal. Yeah. Wow. They had it that year was at the Sirius uh, XM studios uh, right downtown New York City. And I think the next year after that, it was um, at another establishment. And actually last year they had it at the home of the Staten Island Yankees. So they were oh, like wow. in the clubhouse drafting and they all had lockers and it's kind of cool. So, yeah, <laughs> if, if you want to work hard, put in the hours like and get there someday, it's it's worth it. It's really cool. Uh, looking at your drafts here, Todd, Phil, how how deep are you guys in? How many rounds? Um, about to do my ninth round pick here in a second. Oh, wow. You let me refresh because I am in the seventh round. Oh, wow. I'm at the end of the fifth. 
Can I ask you guys questions? After yeah. This? Okay. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Let's, All right. Uh, continue, and then I then I have some for you. Uh, so Todd, you were drafting 14th in your <clears throat> league. How how did your team wind up? We did the first base episode, and we kind of figured out that it's not as deep as it historically is. So I really wanted to grab Goldie. I'm at the 14th spot. You know, obviously a little bit of fandom there, but I thought that was really good. A little higher than ADP, but a good spot. And then at 17, I wanted Judge, Altuve, or Bregman, and uh, Bregman fell all the way to 17. So uh, wasn't really expecting that his adp has been around 11 to 12 but i got him there uh came back around a third round needed obviously in a five outfielder league wanted to lock down an outfielder so i got reese hoskins it's pretty much him or bellinger in that spot and then uh, a really big pitcher run kind of late second third round so i got jameson talion um at 47 overall so when i come back around the fifth round i'm kind of looking to add another starter and then bat probably with my first pick in the sixth round but really kind of focusing on the starter in the fifth round right now nice Phil, you were drafting out of the two slot. Three. Oh, you were in the yes. three. And so I pretty much knew I was going to take J.D. Martinez from the entire beginning. So that's why I wanted the three spot. Um, I love how the NFBC allows you to do the, what is it, the KDS, the yeah, Kentucky, Kentucky Derby, Derby system. Yeah, that's that's a really cool system if you don't ever play on there. It's something to look into. Um, so J.D. Martinez was my first round pick, triple crown threat, obviously. Um, somehow Manny Machado fell to me, um, at my 28th pick. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was the latest that he actually went in this entirely, uh, draft setup. Wait, so 28. Yeah. Yeah. Fell to 28. yeah literally, literally had no idea. And I'm in a league with like Todd Zola and like some, you know, some sharpshooters and this yeah. is, this is not what I expected to be happening. So. I was uh, pretty excited to have two first-round picks, basically. Yeah, let me and... see here. Uh, Machado, he went 16, 18, 28. Uh, it yep. does appear 28 is the deepest. 23, 20. Last time I checked, the Padres are still in Major League Baseball, right? They uh, yeah. Okay. His, yeah. Stats, his stats do oh. count, yes. Okay, awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we could clear that up. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, I have no idea how he ended up falling to me, but it was the easiest decision on my draft. Um, other than JD, because I was planning on that from the beginning. Um, so after that, I, you know, you talked about Marte earlier. Man, I, I cannot quit Starling Marte. He's just an absolute beast. So um, paired him next with uh, with a couple of starting pitchers, uh, Jack Flaherty and Mike Fulton-Nuevich. So I decided to kind of shore up two of the, the top uh, starting pitchers just because, you know, all the aces were gone. All the pitchers, I mean, even since then, pitchers are flying off the board in this format, and, and that's probably why I ended up getting Manny Machado in the first place, and so I'm okay with my pitching staff being a little weaker um, with Machado in my offense, but uh, my last two picks I was really happy about also, uh, D. Gordon and Joey Gallo, I paired together um, with my last turn, and you know that, that to me is, if you can put those two guys together, um, I mean, you have 40-40, you know, 40-40 guy right there with you know, uh, I, a decent average. I should have mentioned Joey Gallo earlier when you asked me who I like. And people for people sort of, uh, <laughs> that's a cliche, people people forget. Um, you know, his his BABIP is, I mean, it's just crazy low given barrels per play parents. Like, he could easily hit 215, 220. It's within the range of outcomes. People always say, you know, oh, he's a batting average sink call. And that's, that's true to a degree, but... If he hits 220 with 40 plus homers, he's like a third round pick in most leagues. Like he's gonna help you win your league. Like it's crazy to me that people have like basically written him off after two years or whatever it is. That's right. Yeah. We we kind of know who he is now, and I mean you, you kind of lump him. You've got uh, Crush Davis 
and Matt Olson that are all kind of batting average sinkholes, but they do provide the power upside. So as long right. as you're offsetting them with a guy that's like Altuve or Brantley or somebody that's going to hit a high, high batting average to kind of mitigate that loss there, you should be fine and hopefully cover most of your stats as well. Right. And that's yeah. that's where valuations matter, too, is you understand the impact of, you know, a 200 batting average. Well, how much can I absorb? How much is he actually worth? Because you know, it, it looks like, like you guys are saying, it's a 40 homer floor, pretty much. And the upside is is even more than that. Right. I basically, I, I just don't think we've come close to seeing the best version of Joey Gallo. And it, it could happen this year. And if it does, based on where he's given, uh, you have a huge leg up on the competition, especially in the power department. All right. My squad, I was batting out of the 13 hole here. Uh, Jose Altuve fell to me right at about his ADP. Somehow, Aaron Judge... On the wraparound, uh, I was able to get him at 18. At 43, I grabbed Reese Hoskins to secure either a first base or outfield there uh, because he's moving back to first base, so eligibility will be coming along shortly. Uh, My fourth pick, I was asleep when it happened, and I'd set my auto cue, and I was sniped twice coming around the corner and wound up with Blake Trinan. So I was the earliest pick of Blake Trinan in this (laughs) format out of 20 leagues. Um, at 48, but I'm not the first closer taken off the board. I believe Diaz was taken by somebody at 47. And, so, and Trinan's your boy anyways. Everyone knows that. Uh, right, right. I, I've i been on him for the last year and a half since he went to Oakland. Um, and so now I'm sitting there with no starting pitcher going into the fifth round, and all of them seem to come off the board right around there. And wound yep. up with Flaherty. So hopefully he can at least repeat what he did. Hopefully a little bit more on the ceiling there. And I, I couldn't believe Joey Votto fell to me at 78. Is this OBP? I'm trying to remember. No, no it's, it's average. average. Okay, average. That's, that's why. That's why. Then. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and I don't I think last year is a fluke. Like he's one of the most consistent hitters in our really generation. And like I, I don't think he's gonna just drop off the mat like El Cabrera did. A lot of his peripherals looked really really good last year and, and you know the home run to fly ball rate just doesn't make sense. There was a weird story that came out. I wanna say it was in late August or early September that he basically came out and said um, I wasn't hitting enough fly balls. I changed, I tinkered with my swing. <laughs> I was like, well, that's a weird thing to say. And then because he's Joey Votto, like for the next two right. weeks, he went on a tear and it was like, he started popping home runs all over the place. And I was like, oh, he, he is that good that if he decides he's going to hit more fly balls, he will hit more fly balls. Uh, it, the best back control guy of his generation. So I, I was right. just going to say our, our generation's Tony Wen. Yeah, right. I mean, unbelievable plate discipline. It's all still there. It's a profile that ages well. I don't. I don't know if the power. I don't think he's ever going to get back to thirty homers. But could he give you twenty with a three ten batting average? Yeah, worth what you pay probably at that price. At seventy eight, was it? Yeah, seventy eight. Yeah. His ADP on Crazy. NFBC since uh, January first is uh, sixty eight. So I even got him a a 10 spot discount. He's like a second rounder last year. (laughs) Right. How does he, how does he go back 50 spots? If you were, Uh, well, only hitting, only hitting 12 home runs will kind of deflate that quite a bit. Uh, Cause I might be able to get him too right here at 74. And and kind of along those lines, a guy I want to ask you about is what do you think about uh, Josh Donaldson? Obviously his bad season is more because of the injury, but You know, a healthy Josh Donaldson, you can get him ADP in the 90s, even maybe even 100. So Donaldson's weird because it's it's been a while. He he didn't look good with the Indians. And it's like, 
Well, was he really healthy? Or, like, what was going on there? There was just a, <laughs> a lot of whiffs going on. And uh, he's a tough case. He's he's a little bit like Justin Turner, where it's like, yeah, if, if he's right and he's feeling good, I know what he's going to be. But I don't know how often that's going to be. Um, and he's he's just dealt with so many things over the last couple of years. He's only 33. It's crazy. <laughs> Right. Um, oh man, he won an MVP like three years ago. Uh, those are the, the it's it's avoiding the narratives. It's like you can talk yourself into a scenario where it's like, oh, isn't it going to be great? He's he's batting behind Freddie Freeman and Acuna and bashing forty homers. You're like you can talk yourself into that, but he he could also miss half the year. It's it's just weird. Yeah. So you have to establish like, all right, here's where I think the reasonable floor, like what I'm willing to pay for is, and then figure out what that's worth. I can't imagine I'd pay for more than you know. 450 plate appearances at this point. I don't know how you could do it. He hasn't, he hasn't, he had what? Almost 520.17, but last year he was at 219. So I don't think you can pay for more than 500. Yeah, that's basically about the, the ceiling I would put on Donaldson, yeah. unless they work some voodoo magic there in Atlanta and have him playing <laughs> all year. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't want to speculate about Atlanta's uh, <clears throat> training methods. Um, <laughs> I have some questions for you guys real quick. Yeah, let's hear them. Yeah, all right. Um, Todd, you went with Tyone as your first starter, correct? Yeah. All right. Here's the thing. Starting pitching is weird, right? Did it feel like the prices were inflated on the top guys in these steps of four? Did it feel like people were placing an extra, um, you know, incentive on getting those types of guys? Like, were they, were they really being more aggressive than than you thought on guys early, those those top-end pitchers? Yeah, I think so. Because I think pretty much everyone's strategy was to get at least one starting pitcher, uh, kind of the top-name guys. Just because, just looking at my draft board right now, um, 11 of the the 15 teams in the league took a pitcher in the top 22, or I mean 28. So, I mean, everyone is pretty much grabbing one or two. Uh, about half the league had two starters by the third round. So, doubling up a pitcher early. So, in this league, um, in particular, it was Italian or Clevenger, pretty much. That was what I was facing. Uh, or Flaherty. So, I mean, I went Italian. He 2-6-3 ERA over his last 20 starts. Really kind of stepped up as uh, the ace for the Pirates. But it was, I mean, the pitching was gone. I mean, it. everyone's going pitching really, really early in this draft. And that, that's just, I think everyone has the same strategy of you have to have an ace or two that kind of... Uh, lead your pitching staff yeah so so the the theory on that i based on the research and the numbers and there's been a lot of articles written mike janella who I, I talked about earlier he right he did this research a couple years ago at bp where he's like look if you where you're gonna you're gonna lose a ton of value where you're not gonna make any profit is on the lower love rungs of, of, of pitching that's also where the most profit potential is look at blake snell last year Herman marquez right you can build a staff the elite guys it just becomes exponentially harder and, and the odds that you miss and end up with uh terrible terrible seasons from guys or, or injuries uh, Lucas or, Giolito or yeah luke weaver yeah. luis castillo doesn't take the step you, you, there are tons of uh you know areas where you you can you can slip up so i get it man if you lose a pitcher that you drafted in the second round in this type of format i yeah. think you're you're done like i don't know if you can recover from that it's really difficult <laughs> so what what would I, happen I like if round hitters personally? That, what would happen if you lose uh you lose three um that are your top <laughs> six pitches or top six uh, picks? Would that be good? No, that you think you, be, uh, you think you would uh, see a, a good outcome in my future? Uh, yeah, the, the magic eight ball. Um, it's not looking good. It might not be yeah, here. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's basically what happened to me last year. Is I uh, I went really pitcher heavy and and like I said just a minute ago I'm. I'm doing the complete opposite this year because there's no way I'm getting 
the I said it before you joined actually, uh, but it was um, there's no way I'm going to be that far behind on hitting and then have my guys get injured as pitchers anyways. Um, right. So if my guys are going to get injured, then they're going to be you know guys I sprinkle in here and there that are or fill-ins and and my offense is going to look like maybe a top 10 offense in the whole uh, whole category or the whole league. So I, I feel like we sound like the guys who when Moneyball came out, they were like, oh, OBP <laughs> is stupid. Like, why do you want to walk? Like, <laughs> I, I understand the logic for the aces. I get it. I understand the numbers. I don't like it. I feel like it is a lot of risk that if something goes wrong, Chris Sale scares the, the the hell out of me right now like have you seen it what happened with his shoulder last year oh like, yeah his, yeah this velocity was like down like six miles an hour late in the year and i understand he pitched in the playoffs but he didn't look that great sometimes and look like if, if one of those guys goes down i i think you're in trouble and and people will say well it could happen to a hitter too and i, I get it but hitters are generally safer and i feel like I'd like to take more chances. Like if, if I take a chance on Tyler Glass and it doesn't work out, you know, fine, whatever. There are other right. pitchers to play. I, I feel like it's going to be a lot harder to, to still compete if one of your ace pitchers went down. This is the whole logic behind why people didn't do this for a long time. <laughs> Nobody took pitchers in the first round. And at the risk of being like the anti-moneyball guy, like I, I see it. I don't really like it. I don't feel great about it. So we'll see how it works out. I, I could be singing a different tune a year from now. Yeah, because right now that's kind of the situation I'm facing where everyone pretty much has a better number one and I don't even have a number two yet. So I'm kind of debating, should I just say, screw it, build a really good offense and uh, try to patch together a pitching staff? Or Because last right. year I was a little banged up too injury-wise because I had Strasburg, uh, Robbie Ray. Yeah, Robbie and, Ray killed a lot of teams. I, I, yeah. I wrote about him a lot. I was like, yeah, don't take him in the third. It's probably not going to work. Yeah, yeah, he's tough. Well, look like we're not saying don't draft pitchers like you need to draft some pitchers it's just you kind of need to find the guys you like later that you think are going to take the jump and take a lot of risks and maybe that's a better way to go about it but i don't know what about in a league like this uh, do you think of going heavy with the relief pitchers and just kind of getting to barely to a thousand boy yeah i i like doing it in a head-to-head i i think it's tough in a roto um, basically, I think there's been a lot of research done where it's looking at the turnovers for guys and uh, the amount of teams that spread saves around more than they used to. Good example is the Brewers. Like, can you tell me if anyone's getting more than 20 saves there? It's tough. Yeah. Um, teams have a lot more options. There's just more good relievers. So finding the outlier guys who have just a stranglehold on on the lion's share of the save opportunities, it's hard. Like, it, uh, how many trinins are, are, are really out there? Uh, uh diaz now he's in a different situation so like people think philly is going to be a good team but they have no idea who's going to close there so i think it's just tough to find the right guys and it's where the risk comes in one of my favorite storylines from last year this is a tangent but uh the felipe vasquez sucks people were weird to me they would all the time he'd have a bad outing and they'd be like oh he's done he had like some real stinkers but it was like he's not losing his job guys like he's he's gonna be fine like they're not replacing him and that was just like an organizational philosophy thing. And there are some front offices that spread the saves. They'll go with different guys. And then there are teams that want the more traditional closer in there. So I think it's tough. You just you have to find the right guys. And if you build your whole strategy around it and then you can't go get those specific closers, I think that's where you can run into trouble. Um, I had a question for Phil. <laughs> I'm calling in from Buffalo right now. Um <laughs> You said you you like Marte here. That addresses speed, but when you this, I feel like this is a question we get a lot. But how do you ensure that you're you're competitive in steals when you when you go into the draft? Is it really as simple as like saying, all right, I'm going to take Marte in the third or fourth or wherever you end up with him? 
Um, but how, how do you ensure that you build a roster that's competitive there without sacrificing too much in the other categories to, to, to get it? Well, like I was saying, not necessarily Marte, but I mean, he is a, a guy that's been a big target of mine specifically for that because he doesn't kill you in any other area. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you're looking at um, some of the, the data I was looking at, you know, we kind of averaged out how many home runs, RBIs, all that stuff you needed over all of the the great fantasy baseball invitational leagues um, and kind of came up with a baseline of, you know, 316 home runs throughout your whole roster. And so, um, you know, that's 22 and a half per guy. So, you know, if you project 20 home runs from Marte, you're, you're a couple behind. But if you're projecting the 30 stolen bases and you only need 11 per guy, um, you know, you're, you're almost 20 ahead or whatever at that point. So it's something where you have to pick and choose where you're getting them. Um, I, I really like where D Gordon's going late. Uh, I think he's going to be a batting average asset, um, with the, you know, even if he only he, not necessarily an asset, but he's not going to be a drain on you. I don't think mm-hmm. he hits two in the two sixties again. I think he's much closer to the 300 hitter. I know he's kind of been on and off on and off. Um, but I think he's much closer to maybe a, even a necessarily not 300, but 280 hitter. Um, I think it'd be much easier for him to land closer to that than the 268 that he did last year. And then you're looking at, you know, if he gets a, a little bit more bounce back in that category, maybe a couple more stolen bases because he's on base a little bit more. So um, guys like that are, are, are targets. And then, you know, I like to kind of get to him early. Um, and I also like to not have guys that are draining me elsewhere. So D Gordon is a guy I, I like, but I don't at the same time because the home run, but mm. uh, the home run drain, but the fact that I was able to pair him with Gallo and I kind of, I, I leaped on him because his ADP is um, what? 115 ish right now. Um, I took him 93. So he, he worked well with my team construction um, better than any of the other guys that I saw on the list. And so I just went ahead and, and took that. Yeah. One of the things I, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if other people do this, but one of the things I like to do is address steals early. I, I identify a few players that I think I'm going to be able to get a deal on. And then I go after them and it's been Merrifield and Mondesi for me all year. Merrifield all year. is my boy. Yeah. Because like you said, I, he contributes across all five categories. He's a really solid asset. And, People don't it's it goes back to like the anchoring effect where people haven't really made the jump and established that, oh, he's actually really an elite player. A lot of people have, but a lot of people still look at him like this is some flash in the pan, weird late career breakout guy. And, and they don't bake in last year. Basically, they think last year was the ceiling, not the floor. Well, he he could be better this year. You, you don't know. So I try and get one of those guys first and then build the power around them afterwards, you know, with a, a guy like a Gallo or. Uh, Chris Davis, someone like that. That's right. something I like to do. Um, Jeremy, my last question is for you. All right. Altuve at 13, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. I love that. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> so did I. <laughs> I don't – explain to me. Explain to me. Jose Altuve was injured last year. He had a legitimate injury, which he had surgery on. Correct. And now he's 100%, right? So far, I'm hearing he's going to be good. Okay. He was basically the number one hitter in fantasy for like a, what, a five-year period? Uh, Almost. Pretty much the number one guy. Sure, there's the odd Trout or Betts here. But he's a consistent top five hitter, right? Correct. Why are are people drafting him outside the top 10 picks? I I do not understand this. Uh, Again, yeah. I'm in the same boat. Uh, Acuna went sixth. That is crazy town to me. I don't understand this. Yelich has moved. He's 28. 
He's, I he's, know. He's 28. He's not 35. I don't understand. Well, let's see. He put together back-to-back years of like 24 homers and 30-plus steals. Like, I, I don't get it. Like, Acuna, yes, he's got potential, but there's also potential that if he bats four in that lineup, he may not be stealing. So you go from being, yeah, 25, 30 stolen base potential down to 15. Yelich. Mm-hmm. I mean, career year, is he worth a top 10 pick again? Uh, I don't know how J.D. Martinez slipped to number eight in this league either. Um, uh, yeah, I, I like Martinez. It was I liked Martinez more a year ago when people didn't realize he was a first rounder. Right. They were drafting yeah. him 24. <laughs> right. It was, it was, that was the sweetest thing. You're like, oh, good. Take Giancarlo Stanton at six. I'll get the same guy 30 picks later. Like, cool. Well, now Stanton's uh, the, they flipped. <laughs> Stanton's the one that you get at 24, 25. I know. That's that's a weird thing. Now I may have to be on the Stanton train. It's, uh, it's weird how things flip um Altuve he posted like what a 366 on base percentage with a bum knee like, yeah basically he was still fine he was fine with, one, with literally one leg because yeah. like, if you saw him running <laughs> he insane. was not he was he's, not running and then one of the five to ten best hitters in baseball uh-huh. it's not close and I do not understand how how people don't see this or what what's I don't understand it it's he's so essentially good. been Pete Rose for his entire career, and people don't realize it. He's had 200 hits or more for like his entire career. He had a half a season. I, I'm 100 percent on on your hype train because I even was arguing with one of the guys in our uh, our group chat about this. Uh, James, he was he was telling me, you know, he wouldn't feel comfortable taking him earlier than 10. And I said, well, I mean, what's changed since last year? He got a knee injury. If his if he's healthy. He's a top five pick. Yeah. I said, there's there's no other, you know, there's no question in my mind. He's a top five pick. It's not hyperbole. We're not talking about he needs to exceed anything he's done before in his career to get back to that level. We're talking about the realistic floor as a first round pick. Right. The floor. The, yeah. the, the bare minimum we think he can do is a first rounder. So I don't know why you would be hesitant to take him there. I, I really don't get it. So that one's just kind of been bugging me. I had this conversation with my, <laughs> one of my good friends, Mark Barry, is in one of the CGFBI leagues, and he goes, oh, who should I take at six? And I was like, Altuve. I was like, it's not close. I, <laughs> he's the top hitter on the board by a lot. And and that's what he ended up doing. And I was like, well, there, I, I don't, it's, it's not a hard decision for me. Yeah, it appears his ADP all across the tournament is about 12. Uh, uh, the latest somebody's gotten him is 15. So he hasn't made it out <laughs> of the first round. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you project 15 <laughs> homers and 20 steals and you project him to play every day, which he's done his entire career, except for last year, <laughs> I, I don't see how he's not a first rounder. That's yeah, only four people have taken okay. him inside the top ten. Uh, one at six, one at seven, and two at nine. Yeah, that six pick was, was – I don't want to say it was because of me, but I was yeah. definitely pushing Altuve. <laughs> you know, I'll say it again. He's not like this 35-year-old guy with chronic – this isn't a Dustin Pedroia situation where it's like, oh, no. he might come back this year. It's like basically been the best hitter in fantasy for three to five years, and now all of a sudden uh, he's not a first-rounder anymore. But like Ronald Acuna. I love Ronald Acuna, but like <laughs> we're basing a lot on like two or three months here like this is i don't know that's just me yeah acuna only twice did he go beyond pick nine and they were both at 10 yeah i mean he's he's crazy talented but um he didn't do a lot for a long time last year (laughs) he had uh he had some struggles so yeah i don't know what's funny is is that i've mentioned this on the podcast last guest honestly but i'll say it one more time because you're here is uh i in when we're doing drafts because we did a live mock the other day um preparing for the great fantasy baseball invitational and uh it was funny because I, I keep saying it over and over and over again but it's you have to look at last year's adp as well 
mm-hmm. because that's where you can target people's value, where their true value should be versus their perceived value of what the, what has changed over this year versus last year. And that's where you can you can get some excellent values, just like you were talking about about Altuve getting late in the first round is just like you said, bananas. Yeah, so so Jose Altuve's Pacoda projection, which is baseball prospectus system, um, they're typically pretty conservative on on guys too. This is the median, like fifty percent outcome, is basically right. what it's saying. Uh, Six hundred thirty plate appearances, three hundred eight, seventeen homers, twenty five steals, ninety runs, seventy five RBI. Um, that's a first rounder. That's that, <laughs> I I don't understand. That's like the median. Like oh, he could roll out of bed, and this is fifty percent. This is what we think he'll on average most seasons do. Yeah. Probably one of the safest investments. Like you, you mentioned last year's ADP. This is why I like doing looking at that because like you could get conceivably Altuve in, in the late first and then Bryant on the way back in the second yep. there. Yep, three first round picks. Yep. Yes, and it's and it's not even that unreasonable to say that those guys could produce at that level either because they're all injury related and the guys had surgery and now they appear fine. Like they're both healthy and playing in spring games. You can watch them; they look fine. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand this. Oh, he got hurt last year, so now I'm scared. It's like, well, okay, he's fine now. You can go watch him play right now. That's throw my Charlie, Throw Charlie Blackman into that little mix of guys that could be first round values that are going well past where I think they should. I'm, I'm not as high on Blackman, but yeah, he's a good example of that too. Absolutely, like it's not because of the park. I mean, anything could happen with him in that park. It's, it's such a great hitting environment. So yeah, Blackman earliest was 14th overall, and latest wow. was. 36 yes, 30 home runs last year. I, the reason I'm a little more concerned about Blackman is because I think the speed is dropped off. A, that was a big part of like booing his value and, and, true, and cementing true. him as a first rounder. Um, he becomes a little more dicey if you're talking like, uh, is he a 10 to 12 steel guy as opposed to a 15 20? Yeah, but he's still but, got that 300 batting average, the 30 home runs, and, and 120 yeah. uh, runs scored. Right, that's, right. That's that number is what really blows you out of the, uh, or you know, puts you into another stratosphere because he usually leads the league in that category. Yep, and he's, two years ago he scored 137 runs. That's insane. That's insane. <laughs> uh, gotta love it. Oh boy. Well, is that all the questions we got? I'm good. Yeah, that was yeah. this was fun. I had a good time, guys. Sweet. Yeah, pleasure to have you on. As we sign off today, where can the people find you? Sure, you can find me at Roto World, and you can follow me on Twitter at George Bissell where I tweet sporadically, and it's usually about, did you guys know Stephen Piscotty was good last year? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm morphing into dad humor territory. Check me out. I'll I'll be here all year. It's uh, going to be fun. Thank you guys, seriously, for having me on. This is great, and and I wish you all the best of luck in TGFBI. Bring home that WWE-style championship belt. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I want to wrestle that away from Clay Link there. He's a tough one. He's he's good at it. Very good at this. I will say that. He's drafting out of the same draft slot that I am. So I'm watching his draft pretty carefully. Who'd he take? Just out of curiosity, the first round. Do you have it up? If you don't, it's fine. But I can't you know, remember. I'm like two clicks away here. Champions League. And he is out of the 13 slot. He went Lindor, who ah. fell to him at 13. Stanton on the wraparound at 18. Mondesi at 43. Corbin at 48. Oh my God. Trinan at 73. And Conforto at 78. Basically drafting the 2000. 18 all-star games what he's doing uh, okay. basically yeah. basically yeah i get it good strategy yep all right phil where can the people find you phil when i'm at the baseball jedi todd you can find me at Goldie Happens.
And you can find myself, Jeremy, at Front Office Jer. Be sure to follow the pod at Fan Front Office. And of course, visit us at our home on the web, fanfrontofficepodcast.com, and go enjoy some spring training baseball, people. Go Cardinals. <laughs>